the main thing is if you've been waiting because the market was kind of crazy these last two years for a buyer that couldn't compete, now you can compete. The Real Estate Wise Guys Podcast. What is up, my friends? Welcome to the Real Estate Wise Guys. Today, we are going to discuss five things buyers should avoid. But before we do that, we're going to jump into some market stats and talk about the current market conditions. So, Sean, I'll have you take it away. Tell us about Austin's real estate market. Right yeah, now. we are. Um, we the numbers are always pretty late when we receive them. So the numbers that we are going to be talking about today are from January. We get them in late February. February is a short month. So today we are filming on March 1st. So. Again, we're always looking back, you know, 45 plus days, but January's numbers came out essentially flat, stronger on unit sales, but the pricing was flat for December, which was kind of to be expected. And uh, the positive that I saw is pendings were up significantly from December. So that's that's real activity. We're seeing a lot more contracts or a lot more properties go under contract. February should see the result of that with all the closings happening. Um, and that was really a byproduct of, you know, lower interest rates. We, we saw a pretty significant drop from October through um, really the end of the year. And that moved the needle enough for a lot of people, jumped off the sidelines, started looking at homes, getting them under contract. Since then, we've seen rates tick back up into the mid sixes. So we'll see the byproduct of that slow down if there is one, or at least at the same level in the next month's numbers. So, yeah, I mean, overall... The uptick in activity is um, is reassuring, and the pricing. I mean, Zach and I talk about this quite a bit. We do think we most of the kind of price movement down has already happened. Um, we are a little over twenty percent from the highs, which normally you're going to see a seasonal adjustment um, within the year of eight to twelve percent. I mean, you go back historically, we see that. So we're obviously we're we kind of fell down in state, but we're staying down. But the expectation is we're not don't see movement that much more movement further down before we start to see kind of us lift back up and and hopefully see some, you know, normal Austin appreciation, which um, we've seen for, you know, the last 50 years. The last two years were a bit of an exception. Yeah, for sure. We're at five hundred twenty five thousand for a median home price right now, which is down four point six percent from last uh, January. But that is up over seven percent from January twenty 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 one. So. We're still, even though we've gone down from the peaks in 2022, we're still an appreciating market when you look at it for more than just a year. Um, I think, like Sean said, we're probably close to the bottom, if not at the bottom pricing-wise. Uh, I, I think we still have plenty more months of lower transaction volume. That's where we did see a big decreases in the amount of transactions. We had, uh, we're currently at 678 pending listings, which is 20, down 20%, 26% from last year. So our activity is down, but in general, the feel in the market from where we were in like November, December, we're starting to see more activity in general. Both of us have seen our phones start to blow up a lot more. We're getting a lot more interactions with um, clients and people that are looking at getting into the market or selling in this market. There's more activity coming. It's not going to be anything like it was in 2023, but in general, we're turning in the right direction with transaction volume. And I think price is going to start ticking up as well. We are going to see some big negative numbers when it comes to the percentage of price appreciation in the next few months, though. Um, if we look back at where we were in March, April, and May of last year, we we're at six hundred and thirty thousand as a median home price in March, six forty in April, and six fifty four in uh, May. We are not going to get back to those numbers by April and May of this year. So we're going to see a pretty substantial negative uh, percentage there. 
But again, to keep it in perspective, if you look back at two years, and if we're anywhere around like 550 median home price, we're still going to be up five, seven percent from that standpoint two years ago. So overall, it's still an appreciating market if you look back from at a two-year total. So it's not like the bottom has completely fallen out. It's just lower than where we were at the highs in 2022. Yeah, and what like and Zach mentioned the the fall that we've seen. So um, he touched on it'll probably be you know April or May when we see that biggest depreciation number in the median sales price. And that's just we've we've kind of fallen off that perch and we have not really come back up like we normally see in the in kind of the seasonality of the market. Um, normally, we always kind of peak in that May, June time frame. It'll fall towards the end of the year. And then the kind of the last quarter starts to pick back up a little bit. And then that's where the new year starts. And then it's kind of a ramp up from January to May to kind of, you know, reach or surpass the previous year's numbers and median price. But um, in this case, it is where, you know, we've got 120 grand to to basically go. And there's a good chance like we will get back into those numbers probably within 18 months. But 2023 is very unlikely. Um, a big the the thing about median price, it kind of comes down to two things. It's um, supply and demand and which and this is kind of goes in the same thing as interest rates. So when you don't have a ton of demand, then prices are going to soften. If you've got a ton of demand and limited supply, that's what that's what happened in 2021. Um, so the biggest thing, if rates come down, we'll see that demand pick up and that appreciation will likely climb faster. So rates are going to affect a lot of this because that, um, you know, that's a that's a big, important piece for for most home buyers looking and sellers. You know, if they're going to be looking to move, they want to look at what their monthly payment's going to be. And that's directly impacted by the interest rate. So we are closely monitoring that and seeing the kind of the day to day, week to week um changes what the interest rates are doing because that's directly correlated with the activity that we're seeing on transaction volume and the last thing that i wanted to touch on was the pending transactions he said was down 20 percent or maybe over 20 percent for the month of january over last january but it's actually up 20 percent from december just a month ago so that just shows you a significant uptick in activity from one month to the next and that's what we kind of want to see we need to string a few of those months together to kind of at least reassure us that, hey, we're kind of going to normalize and we're going to getting back to the normal Austin market and pace. Uh, we don't expect to go back to 2020 or 2021, but, you know, to, to kind of restabilize in 2017, 2018, 2019 metrics would be would be a healthy market. And um, a lot of homeowners did well, but it was a, you know, approachable market for buyers as well. For sure. Uh, a few things that are trending in the right direction for things just kind of normalizing. Uh, our number of active listings peaked in September, we were at a little over 2,700, 2,707 listings in September. Uh, currently, we're at 1,760 active listings. So our inventory amounts coming down a little bit while our demand is slightly ticking up with interest rates coming down off of the highs that they were in November. The, roughly in November, they were 7.4% was the average. Right now, we're about mid sixes. Um, they're kind of been hovering around that for the last few weeks. So we're those are trending in the right direction. Now, the big question with all of this that you're probably wondering as an individual that's either considering buying or selling or investing, are we at the bottom? Is now a good time to buy? Is now a good time to sell? What does this all mean? Um, uh, the No one has a crystal ball. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that I always say is when the best time to buy for buyers when they're ready. Um, and that's both financially, emotionally, um, you know, ready to kind of make that next step. So the pricing now, like if you're, if you're looking at, 
um, home prices now relative to a year ago, you're getting a discount. Um, you're, you know, you're basically buying it based on, you know, two years numbers, a year and a half ago's numbers, but you have a much higher interest rate. So again, those factors and consideration, if you're a first time home buyer, this is a much more approachable market than it was the last few years. If you're a move up buyer that's moving out of an $800,000 house and you're trying to move into a $1.2 million house, it just kind of depends. That market wasn't as crazy as the last year and rates are higher. So you're going to be likely wanting to put a lot more equity into the house to keep your payment a little bit more manageable. But at the same time, maybe you borrow a little bit more, you pay that higher interest rate because you can, you know, you're earning decent money on, you know, some fixed income assets because the Fed funds rate is so high. So there are there are some kind of nuances to that. But the main thing is if you've been waiting because the market was kind of crazy these last two years for a buyer that couldn't compete, now you can compete. I mean, there's stuff that's sitting on the market. You can negotiate. You can negotiate with the seller. Like all of that stuff is true. And then move up buyers too. It's that was the biggest reason why sellers weren't moving these past few years because they had nowhere to go. They couldn't they couldn't sell without something buying something. They couldn't buy something because they couldn't without selling their first place. Now you can get in the market and you can actually make those kind of lateral or move up moves. Yeah, for sure. It, the, the big part is where what your situation is. This market has more opportunities for buyers and I think a little bit more opportunity for move up uh, buyers and sellers than we've seen in the last few years for sure is because there's less competition and less chaos when it comes to the amount of options available after you get your home sold. And if you position your home properly out of the gates, you can get your home sold. You just have to do the, the work up front to make sure that it's going to be positioned properly. There are still plenty of homes selling right now. It's much more about where you're at. And if you are in a position where you're ready to buy or ready to invest, um, that's something that you need to sit down and talk to a realtor about, talk with your um, lender about and make sure that the numbers make sense. But as far as like being concerned of the market still going like crazy down, I think we're kind of at a position where I think we're expecting to be flat to with a little upward trajectory over the next few months but it's, it might not it's not going to be something that is dramatic either way i don't believe yeah i mean prices have really now we have we've strung like three months in a row where prices have essentially remained flat so to think it's going to fall significantly you would think that like given the current environment like, i mean we fell to plateau for a bit and continue to fall um not to say that it can't i just think if it does it's going to be significantly less than you know maybe it's another five percent as opposed to like another 15 percent um but given the we're headed into the spring season depending on what rates do which you know if we if we can get back into the fives that demand will help and complement that that we'll see you know we should see prices kind of definitely plateau if not increase yeah um uh, you know, citywide. And, and that's going to, that's going to depend. I mean, there's a lot of variables here. And I do think a lot of people in the industry, they, they, their prediction and the expectation on that timeline is shorter than what it's ultimately going to be. And I think part of that is just hope, you know, when you're in it, you're thinking like, oh, we know these things are going to happen. We think they're going to happen this year. And turns out it's going to, it's actually going to be spread out over 18, 24 months, not 12 months. Um, and that's just, you know, the optimism and hope when you're in the industry. For sure. All right. Shall we move on to the five things buyers should avoid? Yeah, let's get into it. Right. Tell, tell me about number one. Number one is going over budget. What are things we need to look out for to make sure we don't do that, Sean? Um, going over budget, it's, it can kind of it's kind of two different things. It's not just the price um, when you're you know just looking at sales prices, but it's factoring in what that monthly payment is made up of. Mortgage payment, which is your principal and interest, your property taxes insurance and then hoa is the last one obviously that one is going to depend if you're in an hoa or not 
Um, but just being mindful of that payment. And if all of those are, or the only one of those that is fixed is your uh, mortgage payment. Property taxes will adjust, your HOA can adjust, and a lot of times does. It's a little bit slower and you know a little bit more incremental. And then your insurance will adjust annually as well. Those are a little bit more nominal because they're smaller you know, line items, but property taxes is a real one that can um, can jump up and, and impact your monthly payment significantly. But the the fixed payment, that's the interest rate, that's your mortgage um, that you want to, you know, focus on. But all of those things kind of factoring in a little bit of growth year over year, you hope that your income would grow with that as well. But those are the, it's it's not just, oh, I'm in, you know, I'm looking for a $600,000 house and that's it. You really got to look at that monthly payment and make it, and crunch the numbers Make sure you're using the pro- the correct property tax rate. Um, asking about the HOA, have they done any special assessments or do they anticipate increasing the HOA fees? Um, and then also looking at the property taxes, seeing how undervalued it is on the tax district that you're likely to see a significant pop when once you buy it. Um, there's there's homes out there that are you know they're undervalued from the appra- or the tax appraiser standpoint by hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's going to impact you thousand dollars a year if you don't if you don't pay attention to that. And hopefully the lender they will look at that stuff and they will use the value of current price, you know, current value than they would the historic tax values to make sure you don't end up with you know a five hundred dollar increase in payment, which does happen. And that's the those are the things to look out for when it's not just the sales price, but it's really you know what that monthly obligation is each month. For sure, property taxes is a big one. Uh, lots of times when you're getting your estimate from the lender, they're gonna the existing taxes from the property and like sean was explaining if somebody's been living in that home as their homestead and have the homestead exemption on it that assessment hasn't increased to the level that the market has so they might be paying you know on a four hundred thousand or say a five hundred thousand dollar house that they bought for 200 grand 10 years ago that tax bill might be ten thousand dollars less for the year and you're paying roughly eight hundred dollars more a month in taxes than what they are currently paying. And so if you don't put that into consideration when you're looking at those estimates, that's greatly gonna change your monthly affordability. The big component when we're looking at all this from a budget, like how do we avoid going over budget? Anytime I'm working with clients, I wanna look at it from two different standpoints. The first is their entry cost. What, what, what are they bringing to the closing table? What do we have available for down payment and closing costs? And then the other framework that we want to work within is our monthly budget. And that's taking everything into consideration for the PITI and as well as your utilities and things along those lines, making sure that we're operating within that framework and we're looking at houses that will fit within that budget. And a huge component of that in Austin and Texas in general is what the property tax rate is and what those assessments are. That's a huge component of affordability. You can be looking at houses that are the same price, but one might be in a tax bracket uh, or have a tax percentage of 3% a year, and another one might have a tax percentage of 1.9 or something along those lines. And that can be four or $500 a month difference that is substantial on your budget. So keeping that in mind when you're when you're shopping and making sure that uh, the agent you're working with is helping you operate within that framework is, is key. Cool. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a big one. That's obviously the starting point for a lot of people is, you know, you talk with a lender and you're you're looking at what your budget is from a sales price, but the, what you're really doing is what do you want your monthly payment to be, right. you know, meeting that budget. And then they, you know, they do the math to figure out where you ultimately end up on a purchase price. Yeah. From a overall, the the sales price is really irrelevant to how it affects you on a, a monthly basis, as well as what you're bringing to the the closing table. What's more important is what what the framework you're working in within your down payment plus closing costs and then your monthly payment. If you're working within that, 
then the the price sets itself. We don't have to be looking at just the price. That's what we're going to be operating within. Right. Cool. All right. Number two is not budgeting for cost after closing. Now, this is one that we put so much focus into getting into the house. What do we have available for down payment, closing costs, all that good stuff that we just talked about was number one. But then we don't think about all the things that are involved with moving into a new house after you purchase it. So obviously we have moving costs. If you're paying movers, just the cost of getting everything stored up and all that good stuff is substantial. Lots of times you're gonna be adding furniture, you're gonna be uh, adding appliances, you might be doing some improvements to the house, whether it's painting or adding flooring or anything along those lines. That definitely needs to be something that you're considering ahead of time. Uh, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are spread way too thin because you didn't consider the elements that are going to come after closing. Yeah, and another big one is not even spread thin, but then you may be put in a position where you uh, you can't do some of those things. So yeah, obviously you're going to pay for movers and you get stuff moved in, but if you can't, you don't have money to do the floors or to, you know, upgrade some countertops or a bathroom or whatever. And those are the things that factor in the overall picture. Your down payment obviously is going to be their biggest cash draw. And, you know, earmarking some of that money of like once we close, we are going to want to do X, Y, and Z and making sure that you save money for that. So you're not thinking about those things when you're making the decision to buy the house. You ultimately buy the house and then you don't get to make those improvements or make those changes that you want. A big one, another, another big common one is landscaping, um, just doing stuff outside. And that's just, you know, outdoor furniture. You know, a lot of people are moving from smaller spaces or an apartment or condo of some sort, and they don't have outdoor space. And now that's all new furniture that you're buying. Um, and just stuff that you would have outside your grill, like all those things that you don't really think about until you end up in a, a single family home. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're kind of draining through that cash pretty quickly. Yeah, it adds up quickly. Another thing that goes along the lines of this that's important is make sure that you're not buying things on credit ahead of closing, if you're getting a, uh, if you're financing your property. So this is something that can change your debt to income ratio and can change your approval term. So you might have the initial uh, approval from your lender, but if you buy a fridge, washer, dryer, or God forbid you go get a car on credit or something along those lines, that can change your approval status. So make sure that you're checking with your lender before you're purchasing, making any purchases on credit ahead of closing as well. Um, even if that's intended for after closing, it can impact your ability to close on the loan. So definitely avoid that. Yeah, it's a, the car is the is a big one because obviously that's a large monthly payment. If you are buying, um, you know, furniture, they have like payment plans, that sort of thing that a lot of times it's it's a negligible amount of money, but it will certainly impact the qualification with from with a lender sees that it can throw a wrench in the in the uh, lending process. No doubt about that. All right. On to number three. Number three thing to avoid as a buyer is buying a money pit. Don't a do lemon. It, don't do <laughs> buying it. a lemon. That that pig with lipstick on it. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, there's um there's a lot of that in Austin. Obviously, Austin has been a pretty opportunistic real estate market for the past number of years. So you've got a lot of uh, you know, I would say unqualified flippers. So you're there's a lot of homes that look great in pictures. You get there, um, you know, a experienced agent or you know homeowner is going to be able to kind of see through some of that stuff. Like, yeah, this looks pretty, but there are, I can see there's some underlying issues here that are going to cost you money post closing. Um, that's one. And then there's also just homes that are in just disrepair, um, you know, old, you know, if it needs a new roof or new HVAC, um, water heater, like some of those bigger ticket items, uh, foundation repairs, another really big one. Um, anything you do when you're dealing with water is going to be expensive no matter what it is. So identifying those issues 
and making sure that you at least have a really good idea of what they are going to cost and how to address those things before you make a decision or just avoiding them altogether. And a lot of times it's easier. There's plenty of good homes out there. If you see a house that has a bunch of these issues, just you know, wash your hands and say, oh, let's keep going. Let's move on to the next one. Um, there's no reason to you know buy yourself into a, a situation where you're not only stressed out, spending a bunch of money, but you're a lot of times with some of those older homes that have not been well cared for one issue turns to three issues, turns to five issues. It, it, it can kind of spiral. So um, cosmetic stuff, that's easy. And that those are the kind of the better homes to, to find. When you find an old home that has been really well cared for, maybe it's not updated, so it still is, you know, stuck in the 70s in terms of, you know, the finishes, but it's been really well cared for mechanically, HVAC, water heater. They've, they've done a good job with the roof, water drainage, plumbing, electrical, all that sort of stuff. If they've done that well, then you're in good shape and you can come in and kind of make it your own cosmetically. And that is relatively finite um, in terms of doing that stuff. Um, it comes down to, you know, the square footage of, of countertops and how many um, cabinets are you replacing, light fixtures, plumbing fixtures, all that sort of stuff. What's not finite is when you have a water leak and it could be a $200 water leak or a $2,500 water leak. So um, those are a lot of times, especially if you're a a new buyer, you're maybe even just not a first time home buyer, but new to this market and you're going to be looking at different things. If you bought a home in, you know, the Northeast, it's a very different process uh, or different type of product here. Um, So having an agent that can kind of hold your hand through that process is like, hey, this one is like, let's pass on this one. This is going to be, this is going to cause you issues and cost you a lot of money down the road. That's the, that would be the ideal situation. Just having someone, whether it's your agent or even if it's, you know, a friend that's looking at houses with you, um, or a family member, something like that, of just having an extra set of eyes and ears on, on that type of stuff on, um, would, is definitely going to save you a headache down the road. For sure. There's two aspects of this that do create opportunity, like purchasing properties that are like the one Sean described that, is well maintained and but just needs updating it's from the 70s like that can be an opportunity to create equity if you're interested in adding projects right but what we want to help people avoid is buying that property that has been flipped haphazardly we we see that a lot i've had to talk um buyers out of a few different properties especially when they're um right at the max of their budget at a property that looks shiny but you can see they didn't touch anything. Like none of the mechanicals are touched. The electrical is not touched. The plumbing is not touched. There's just problems coming. Uh, we want to make sure that we avoid those properties, especially if you're an individual that's budget sensitive already, and then you have all these problems coming in that can put you in a very tough position. So you want to make sure that you avoid that. But on the other end, if you are interested in adding value to homes, looking at homes that do have these issues, generally speaking, not the big ones, like you don't want the big ticket items, you can find a house where there's opportunity to add value. It's a great way to increase your wealth over time by buying a property, putting work into it, and then selling it a few years down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Of And the big thing is ask a lot of questions, ask for, you know, additional documentation, ask for paperwork when stuff was re- replaced and that sort of thing. I mean, you, that's, you have every right to do that as a buyer and your agent should be doing that for you. For sure. Number four of our things buyers should avoid is misunderstanding your ownership timeline. The thought process here is that if you are looking to sell your home a year after you purchased it, you really shouldn't have been buying that home in the first place. When you're looking at purchasing a home, your timeline should be three plus years at a minimum. Um, you know, individuals that bought a year ago are going to be not going to be able to get a return on their house right now. They're going to lose money after closing costs and everything more than likely if they bought early last year and they're trying to sell at this time frame. 
So making sure that you're putting yourself in a position where you're not in a rush to have to sell your home is very important. Yeah. And that's a, that's one of the first questions I um, address with buyers is, you know, how long do you intend to live there? And it's kind of a two part question because you don't only, you only have to live there for a certain amount of time if you intend to rent it. Like if that's an opportunity to, you plan to turn it into a rental property, then you may only want to live there for a year or two and then rent it out, which is great. If you're planning on living there for a year or two and then selling it, that's where it's like, we really need to reconsider like your options here because there's, you don't want to be in a situation where you're buying something fast forward 24 months later, trying to sell it. And you're, you know, you don't have enough appreciation to take care of closing costs and you're, you know, you would be better off renting a lot of times too. In Austin, you're not having to tie up, you know, your down payment money. It probably would be cheaper to rent in that short time period. Um, if you have intentions of owning it for at least three years, that's kind of our metric. I prefer four, but historically in Austin, you know, three has been enough. Um, this last year will kind of, we'll, we'll see if that's kind of an exception. Cause if you bought in 2021 and you're selling this year that there, you saw enough growth in 2021 to kind of take care of you. Um, but we'll see if you bought in early 2022, we'll see how long that timeline will ultimately take to kind of catch you back up. But the the main thing is if you are thinking about if you don't have intentions of owning it three four or five years then ask a lot of questions really lay out like why do you act like think about why you actually want to buy um because it may be you may be better off you know continuing to rent and if it's just that you want to own own a piece of real estate then maybe you do go buy it just go buy a rental property and rent it out and you you know you live where you want to live and you rent out your place where you want a rental property for sure. Yeah, you don't have to live in it, but you you want to have an ownership timeline of yeah. at least three plus years for it to make sense in most markets. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that is true. It's not in Austin specifically. That's pretty much across the, across the country. Um, anytime you're owning less than that, I mean, you, you have closing costs. If you buy it today and try to sell it tomorrow, you would lose money because of closing costs. So you have to catch up that and then you have to, you know, have some, hopefully have some appreciation to be able to walk away yeah. with. Roughly nine, 10% of the sales price is going to be caught up in closing costs. So if you, like John said, you buy yesterday and sold today, you're going to be losing roughly 10% um, off of the sales price. So that uh, is not a great strategy. Yeah. Which, yeah. And when we get that timeline, Austin over the last 50 plus years, even excluding these last few years, it averages a little over 5% year over year appreciation. So that's two years to essentially break even, which is why we say three years, you know, that gives you a, a healthy cushion to obviously recoup your closing costs and you know you you walk away with you know additional money in your pocket might not be a lot more but it'll be something and in the last 10 15 years it's been a lot you know you're we're seeing much more appreciation than that five or six percent for sure all right final our final final, one our final thing to avoid as a buyer is not claiming your homestead exemption don't you want to walk us through that yeah so the um when you own a home you will have property taxes that is calculated based on the value of your home. So the appraisal district through the county, um, they will assess the value of that property. And it's strictly done through, you know, basically algorithms and data that they collect. They don't physically come to the property. Um, They just, you know, accumulate data from a, a number of different sources and they determine the value of that home. So for kind of simple math, if you Buy a home in Austin. Currently, the tax rate is two point one seven percent. That's subject. To, that's going to change this year, but that's what it was last year. So you're going to pay two point one seven percent on five hundred thousand dollars as property taxes per year, which is a little over ten thousand um, dollars, close to eleven thousand dollars. So 
with the homestead exemption, you qualify for this if you own and occupy your residence at least six months out of the year. So you would qualify for that if you're planning on living there full time. You fill out an application, it's two pages, you submit it to the county, and they will basically, they reduce the value by 10%. So if, you know, let's just say you bought it for 500 and they were ta- they said it was 500, they would tax you at 450. So you're getting a little bit of a discount on the tax, but then also um, there's, there's uh, some additional discounts within that 2.17% is made up of a bunch of, you know, the city of Austin, Travis County, AISD, there's a handful that go into that. Some of them offer different discounts when it's your homestead. AISDs is larger, city of Austin's is smaller, but it comes out to a roughly 10% discount. In addition to that, every year they're going to reassess your property. And if you're in the market like Austin has been, where your property value is increasing significantly, talking 20, 25% year over year, your property taxes are capped at increasing 10%. So that way, if values get wild and they start growing like crazy, like they have been, you're not getting killed on the property tax side. They can only increase your tax bill by 10% a year. And you can only do that if you file your homestead exemption, which this is something that is talked about at closing. It's normally mentioned at some point in the buying process. And then if your agent is not sending you a reminder, you likely won't do it and you'll forget about it. You'll get some random mail to look like junk mail and it is junk mail, but you likely won't trigger anything for you to go do it. So then you don't end up filing it. And now your tax bill is two, three, four grand higher per year because you didn't fill out this, you know, two page application. So it's super important. A lot of buyers miss it. Um, We kind of do an audit of our clients where we'll go and look at public record to see if they have filed that um, application or make sure that they are receiving that exemption. And if they're not, we'll reach out to them. Hey, you got to, you know, it's time that you get this filled out. So you get that discount. Yeah, that's definitely very important. It's a very simple step, but it can, if you don't do it, it can cost you tens of thousands of dollars over a few years. Yeah. Um, It it adds up quickly, especially in the appreciating market we've seen over the past few years up until this year. I mean, we've seen huge jumps. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we're going to see rent prices increase so much in Austin over the next a few years is because property taxes for landlords have jumped up dramatically because they cannot place the homestead exemption on those properties because it's not their primary residence. So those property taxes have jumped along with the market. So some landlords had 20 plus percent jumps last year in their their tax bill. So that makes a huge difference on what they're going to be charging for rent. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, if they can't get that rent, they're going to be kind of forced to sell in a sense that they, you know, hey, we're not going to rent this out for $500 less than what we owe on it each month. Let's just sell it. And they can get their equity out of it and uh, and move on from it. So, um, yeah, the homestead exemption is an important one. Um, it's a simple process, but it is super important. And this is actually one thing that I will comment. They, It used to be you didn't qualify until you occupied the home as of January 1st of that tax year. So if you bought your home in February, you wouldn't qualify until the next year. That has changed. We are now, the Travis County changed the rule to now you can apply and receive that exemption in the same year that you own. Um, So not a big change for people that are buying homes that already have a homestead exemption. You just, because it's kind of, you know, it it basically just transfers from the old owner to you. But if you're buying a home that was a rental property or you're buying a new construction home that didn't have an exemption on it, it makes a big difference because if you bought in February, I mean, that's 11 months that you're going to receive that benefit. You know, you get it 11 months sooner. So big, sure. a big change in Travis County. And that's new as of this year. There, there, one aspect of that, the, the assessment does change when it transfers ownership. So if their assessment was at 300000 but you purchased it at 500000 your starting point is more than likely going to be around 500000 
and then you'll be capped at 10% a year that they can increase that each year. Um, so that's an important thing to understand about that. But yes, you want to file for your homestead exemption as quickly as you can and lock in those benefits that come along with it. All right, to review our five things a buyer should avoid. Number one, going over budget. Number two, not budgeting for costs that happen after closing. Number three, buying a money pit. Don't do it. Number four, misunderstanding your ownership timeline. And number five, not claiming your homestead exemption. Now, with all of this, if you're looking to purchase in Austin's market or the surrounding areas, Sean and I are here to help along with the rest of our team. And we're happy to help walk you through that process and put you in a position that's going to be successful for you. If you have any questions in general about real estate, you can reach out to both of us um, through our website, wiseaustin.com, or you can find us on Instagram at Wise Property Group. All right, my friends, have a wonderful day and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys.